Hello everyone and welcome to this episode of the Game Podcast and today I'm joined by my co-hosts Maria and Vanessa. Hello. And today we're going to be talking about health professions and joined by us today is Dr. Gunn who will give us a little intro about himself. Uh, I'm, I've been here for 29 years and I've been a health professions advisor for about 24 of those. Uh, we have a really great health professions program. It's very diverse and um, I'm just really proud of the, of the students and the, and the participants in this program. Thank you so much, Dr. Gunn, for joining us here today. So we, are, we just wanted to start off with a few questions. Um, the first one is, since I know you're, you're an advisor for like um, all these programs, could you give us a little bit more background on what programs specifically do you help students out with? Um, the health professions, of course, is very broad, but my, the majority of my work is with pre-meds, mm-hmm. pre-dents, <clears throat> and pre-optometry students. I do a, a little bit with pre-vet, and uh, also all the different health professions you know, from like nursing and PA and uh, well, physician's assistant, OT. I mean, there's a, such a huge smorgasbord out there of <laughs> opportunities, but I usually look at the people that are trying to go in for the doctoral level degree. Mm-hmm. Okay, thank you so much. And since this podcast is geared towards or aimed for um, first year first year students like here at UTRGB, I just wanted to ask our first question: um, What steps should first year students do to prepare for the desired school, whether it be med school, dental school, all these schools? What should first year students begin to start doing? Well, before you even sign up for your classes, you need to look and see what is really required to do what you think you want to do mm-hmm. for the rest of your life. And if it's medical school, I mean, obviously the starting coursework is all foundation sciences. Uh, the general biology, general chemistry in the first semester prefer you to get some math done, but then you're going to have to continue to stack up a whole bunch of stuff from there. So I would say the first thing you need to do is go out and get information. Mm-hmm. Spend some time looking at the medical schools you're thinking about, looking at the application services. There's lots of blogs and stuff out there on medical schools that you can get a tremendous amount of information and get a feeling for what you really uh, think is going to be needed. Also, come see your advisor, okay? Not just your university advisor, but also the specialist advisor. If you're looking at uh, pre-med or pre-dent, obviously come see me, but if you're looking at some of these other fields, there are lots of advisors here on our campus that can service and help you uh, to choose the best road for you. Uh, it is a little bit individualized. Now, there are certain courses everyone has to take, but it also is, it's not just about getting the prerequisites from, for medical school. It's also about becoming an educated person, getting a series of experiences that you want to gain and will also help you to be the best possible applicant. Mm-hmm. Okay, thank you so much for that. Um, how do students apply to this program? To the pre-med program, uh, pre-dent program, in general, it's just a matter of declaring that you are a pre-med major. Uh, there are no special qualifications. Now, obviously, you've got to produce once you get in there. Mm-hmm. And the way our degree is set up right now is you have to maintain at least a 2.5 GPA to stay as a pre-med or pre-dent. Um, now, I will tell you, a 2.5 is probably not going to make you competitive <laughs> to go to medical or dental school. Uh, the average GPA for going into medical school last year was almost 3.8. The average for dental school was 3.7. Uh, it's just a very, very competitive world. And so uh, getting everything you can to maximize your chances is really what advising uh, on my level is all about because there's a whole bunch of other stuff you got to worry about other than just 
getting into the program and maintaining grades. And I know that you also are in charge of certain like pre-programs or specialty programs. For example, you're my advisor for JAM. Um, what are some programs that are available for first-year students for, at UTRG? Okay, for students that are actually in their first year uh, here at UTRGV, we really have a couple of three opportunities. We have two opportunities in dental for dental school called the Dental Early Acceptance Programs, or just referred to as DEEP. Um, these are sometimes referred to as three plus four programs. Three years of undergraduate school instead of the normal four, and you apply early and you can actually get accepted to dental school if you're in one of those programs and uh, gain admittance to one of the two dental schools we have partnerships with. Uh, now, as far as medicine goes, we have a, a very strong program with, uh, with JAMP, the Joint Admissions Medical Program, which is statewide. It's not just here at UTRGV, but we have great success. We are the fourth largest producer of JAMP students in the state. And so that puts us up there right behind people like Austin A&M and Texas Tech. Mm -hmm. So we, we are doing actually a very good job with these types of students. These all require separate applications. The JAMP program you apply for after your first full year of college. So the summer between your first and second year is when you're actually filling out the applications. The interviews happen uh, a little bit later after they have uh, kind of digested those applications. Uh, and, uh, and that's our, our big, uh, big group as far as that goes. We are looking at joining, uh, producing some new programs. We're looking at producing a new program with our own medical school here, but that won't be for a couple more years down the road. Uh, there is a Houston Assured Acceptance Program that is a very small program. They only take a couple of students a year, but once again, you apply after your first full year of college. Uh, and so that's another opportunity. If you're a high school senior and you're looking way ahead, uh, high school seniors can apply for the Baylor Pre-Medical Honors College, which has still got a long history of success here. Mm -hmm. uh, well, let's say that I'm someone that wants to apply for uh, one of these uh, schools, mm -hmm. uh, but I don't get into the program. What is another option I have to get into the school, medical school that I want? Okay, you don't have to be in a special program to go to medical school. Well over half the students that I get into medical school every year, or dental school for that matter, are not in special programs. They're just doing it the old-fashioned way. They come here, they get good grades, they work hard, they get good experiences. They get a set of experiences beyond the classroom that is appropriate for their degree. So they're shadowing doctors, they're doing research, volunteering in the community, uh, showing some leadership skills, developing their communication skills. All these things come together to make a successful applicant. And so if you're not, you know, say you apply for the JAMP program, well, while you're in that summer applying for the JAMP program, you can participate in summer programs all over the nation. Uh, there's a very big program we here have a, that uh, is hosted out of uh, Washington, D.C., but they are hooked up with a whole bunch of different uh, universities. The primary player in our area is the uh, University of Houston uh, Health Science Center. Uh, it's called the uh, Summer Health Professions Enrichment Program, SHPEP. Uh, and it's, it's got a great uh, history, shall we say, of taking students and helping them to become what they need to be. They're not looking for the perfect 4-0 students that have all the advantages. They're looking for kids that show promise, who may need that extra assistance. I've had students at UCLA, at Oregon, at Yale, at um, Louisville, Nebraska, um, Birmingham, Alabama, I mean, all over the country as part of that SHPEP program. That's not the only one. That's just the big one that everybody recognizes. But there are summer programs throughout the United States. 
you just got to get on the website sometime before Thanksgiving, preferably, <laughs> and, uh, and type in uh, summer enrichment programs, and you will, you will get 100,000 hits. Uh, you just got to look in at what type of program you want, because there are different types, but um, those are some of the things you got to do in order to get through it the old-fashioned way. And as I said, lots and lots of students apply for these programs. Maybe they hear no. They still, they still go through the process and apply, and they certainly can be successful. Uh, you had mentioned, sorry, you had mentioned about getting experiences. So how can first-year students get, like, what suggestions would you give? Okay, as first-year students, it's a little bit more, you know, you're not going to find your way into a research lab usually after your first year unless you really uh, show some, some special aptitude, shall we say. But there's lots of these programs out there like, uh, summer undergraduate research fellowship there's supposed supported by the uh, National Institutes of Health there's a summer undergraduate research program which is supported by, uh, by NSF the National Science Foundation these programs are occur throughout the nation then there's programs around here that have shall we say in Texas that have a little more of a local flavor um, there's a, a program with uh, the optometry school called POPS uh, there's a program at uh, the uh, dental school in uh, Baylor that has a, just a huge record of success. So what you can do is you can look at summer programs, just type in summer programs in Texas and hit enter. And once again, you'll get a whole bunch of different opportunities. Uh, you may not, some of them may not be what you want. Usually these programs take the first half of the summer uh, if they're in an academic type enrichment program. If they're research, they usually take the entire summer. So if you're looking at going to summer school, it doesn't fit very well. But look at the advantage by you know, not going to summer school and participating in these programs. Yeah. It really helps you to become, shall we say, a known quantity in the game. Mm -hmm. Because now you've participated in this program. That is a certain level of recognition. Likewise, you've got a certain set of experiences. And some of these programs do some really amazing things. Uh, I've had people go off and do research and come back with, with publications and three presentations. Uh, lots of people do the academic enrichment programs end up catching on at those medical schools or dental schools where they do those enrichment programs. And uh, there's lots of different types of programs out there. You can do academic enrichments, you can do preparation for standardized tests, you can do research, you can do a generalized type program like a HCOP, uh, Health Careers Opportunity Program. There's lots and lots of different programs out there that you can be involved in. But if you don't go fishing, if you don't go looking, <laughs> you're probably not going to find anything. I do put things outside my door. We have a pre-med resource room, which is right across the hall from my office, and I hang up opportunities there. We have a binder in there that's about five inches thick uh, that says summer programs on it. <laughs> some of those are still in existence. Some of them have gone away, but you can flip through there and see what's available. Uh, the Howard Hughes Medical Institute does a lot of summer programs. So, like I said, the opportunities are out there, but you got to go get them. They're not going to come get you. Mm -hmm. Thank you. And... I know you had mentioned before like standardized testing for these programs. A lot of students don't really know about, or since we have a lot of students that are first generation students and they don't really have the experience in terms of um, family doctors, since I know a lot of students who are pursuing medical school have parents that are doctors and they already know the process and how to apply. What suggestions do you have for students in terms of finding information about these standardized tests and what exactly are they for these first year students? 
Well, the uh, for for first year students, you're really a little bit early to really think mm -hmm. about standardized tests from the standpoint of taking them. Yes. But from the standpoint of preparation, you can never start too early. <laughs> okay. These are really big, long, very challenging tests. Usually written kind of like uh, y'all. Most of y'all probably at this point have the SAT or the ACT, where you've got a passage. You read that passage, and then you've got five or six questions from that passage that usually are not, you can't just look back in the passage and find the answer. You have to think about it. Well, that's the same thing they do with the, uh, the MCAT, the DAT, the PAT, the OAT, all these different standardized tests. And the way to find out about what standardized test is required is if you think you want to be an optometry student, go to the optometry application website. It will tell you exactly what you got to have. If you want to go to the medical school, you got to have the medical college admissions test. Okay, all these are found, are based on foundation coursework, general biology, general chemistry, organic chemistry, biochemistry, physics. That's pretty much the standard for most of these. A little bit of psychology, a little bit of sociology. And of course, one of the things that always scares everybody is what they call the critical analysis and reading skills. <laughs> um, it's so well known among the M MCAT people, they just refer to it as cars. Got to watch the cars. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, it's, it's real important because that's where they test to see if you can think on your feet. If you can actually take a volume of information and come up using your knowledge of biology, chemistry, physics, and elucidate, come up with a reasonable idea, and, and pick the right answer, shall we say, out of the four or five answers that are there. And it's very challenging. Uh, a lot of them also are going to test things like your ability to read is a big part of it because... You know, all you have to do is change one letter in a word and you can really change the meaning. Mm -hmm. uh, all you have to do is, you know, well, y'all have probably all done this on a test where you're reading along and, you know, you make the answer and then it comes back, the answer is completely the opposite of what you thought because you missed the word not. Okay? <laughs> We've all done that, trust me. <laughs> but, you know, you, you, it really is part of the game is learning how to approach the test because different tests, different foundation knowledge, um, there's also one that if you're thinking about going into PA school or lots of the, some of the more uh, health profession training, there's one called the GRE, Graduate Records Exam. And if you want to go on for a PhD or you want to go into a master's program or you want to go into some of these other programs that don't have very highly specialized tests like medical and dental school, they will have you take the GRE. And so how do you prep for those? You start day one with learning, learning the language, learning, and I mean by the language, I mean the technical language, okay, the hard stuff. All that jargon we throw at you in science, it's there for a reason. <laughs> okay? But, you know, learning how to communicate effectively. Challenging yourself to think. Um, there are very, there's some very clearly defined and, and uh, well-organized uh, prep systems for this. Like you may have heard of the Kaplan Press or Princeton or Exam Crackers. Uh, there's a whole bunch of different prep systems out there that cost a lot of money. Kaplan costs a couple of thousand dollars to prepare you for, in, for taking the MCAT. Those are, I really don't suggest you start out at this, certainly not at this point when you're in your freshman year. Mm -hmm. You certainly shouldn't be looking at any of those preps yet. You gotta get the foundation coursework. You gotta get the knowledge. Then they'll teach you how to deal with the test, assuming you need that. There are some people, are, the best scores I've had were made by people that didn't take any kind of prep work. They just had natural skill, skills at thinking through things, okay? Not everybody's got those. Some people need those standardized tests. And we do have a very strong, we have a, uh, an MCAT prep course that runs in the spring and then another one that runs in the summer. We take about uh, 26, 28 students in each one of those. 
and you know if you're selected it's actually paid for but there's also people that we just can't afford to pay for they have to go in and pay their own good money uh, to uh, to get these skills and um, I know this isn't going to mean anything to you but trust me this is an impressive number uh, I've had students that took that MCAT prep course and increased their MCAT score by 15 points now, if you're used to the big numbers like you see on the SAT, that's not much. But 15 points on the MCAT is massive. Okay, and so it's a matter of what you put into it. So don't throw your, your foundation coursework away. Don't throw your notes from biology, chemistry, physics, organic chemistry. Don't throw them away. Hang on to them. Hang on to your, uh, your, old, uh, your old textbooks. They'll help you. I'm doing organic, but all my gen chems are like in the trash. Oh, good. Buy the textbook, I guess. <laughs> so if you get somebody that's taking the class right now that they've used PowerPoint notes, mm -hmm. get, the, get a copy of the PowerPoint from them so you can have them to at least remind yourself. Uh, it, it, it really does make a difference. Yeah, I, I, I know why. I know he's right. Because in other classes, they're referring back to the really old stuff. And I haven't seen that thing in like four years. So I'm like, what is this? <laughs> Very important that you have that foundation, but it's okay. Um, and also, you had mentioned about being a good applicant. What are I know you mentioned the MCAT scores, having good GPAs and experiences. What are some other... Um, steps that students should take to become a very competitive applicant? Well, to be competitive, they first of all, they don't just look at your MCAT score and your grades and say, we'll interview. It does not happen that way. Mm -hmm. They go through this system called holistic review. Holistic review means that someone in their admissions group is going to sit down and read everything in your application. Everything. All those personal statements, all those individual answers. Because they want a total picture of you. Not just you as a student, mm -hmm. but you as a person. You as a potential doctor. And so because of that, they look at a whole lot of other things than just, like I said, just the numbers. Certainly the numbers are, have to be there. But on top of that, you know, they really need to see that, first of all, you're willing to serve humankind. And the way you do that is you show them by going out and doing service. So volunteering at Habitat for Humanity, volunteering in the food bank, volunteering to muscular dystrophy telethons, whatever. Working in support of other humans. That's... That's the important aspect, because if you're not willing to serve humankind, you're going to be a terrible doctor, okay? So that's the, the first thing. Second thing is they want to see that you know what you're getting into. So experiences in the health professions are important, okay? Now, these can be very low level. You can go to the hospital and push people around in wheelchairs from point A to point B or work in a gift shop or whatever, and that is part of it also. That is still service, but they're looking for something a little bit more, shall we say, you know, a little more meat on the bone, a little bit more knowledge to you. And so the, actually the top of the rock, the thing I really like to see you do is shadow a doctor, where you actually follow a doctor around for, you know, four, six, eight hours, however many you can, you can, you can deal with them, they can deal with you. You actually follow them around and see what they do. And the people that are really good at shadow, you know, doctors that are really good at teaching, will teach you what's going on as this happens. And you get a real feeling for whether this is something you really want to do. Okay? Now then, other things you need beyond that, okay? You've got to, and like I said, a number of shadowing hours is good. More diversity is good. So if you can shadow with two or three different doctors, get, you know, 60, 80 hours with each one of them, then you become a really, you, they really recognize your commitment to that profession. Okay, other things they're looking for, communication skills. You've got to be able to communicate as a doctor. 
nothing's worse than trying to look at her for, well, you probably all heard the story of the doctor that basically uh, looked at their, uh, their patient and said, I don't know. <laughs> that just means they don't want to communicate with them. Yeah. Okay, It's not that they don't know what's going on. It's just that they don't want to put that information out because A, it may be too technical. B, they may be stressed for time. I mean, we all know the reasons. That, but doctors have to be able to communicate. They have to be able to communicate with each other because think of how many communications are about I need to go find out you know, from this specialist about this and this specialist from the labs about this. So there's a lot of communication that occurs with you know, professional to professional, but also professional to the patient and even more important, professional to the family of the patient. And so important communication skills. Develop those in both English and Spanish are wonderful. Okay, Don't feel like you want to throw your Spanish away if you are lucky enough to have uh, be a bilingual situation. Eat on that. Take advantage. We even have a, a minor here in medical Spanish, if that's something you're interested in, uh, that will help you to be successful in that area. Okay. Communications. Maturity. This is a hard one. You can't get maturity out of a book. I don't care where you are. You can't, you can't take a course in maturity. It doesn't exist. The only way you can become mature is to get out there and experience life. Challenge yourself. Go off the beaten path. Talk to somebody you wouldn't normally talk to. Okay? Be a human being in the process, okay? So developing the uh, confidence, self-confidence is an important part of being a good doctor. Uh, you know, you're giving people life and death, in some cases, information. You better be sure it's right, so you better be confident in what you're doing. So self-confidence is another big one, and that comes with maturity. So getting out there and doing things. One of my, just to throw a quick plug for one of my favorite things is, is a study abroad taking somebody and putting them into a different culture, into a different language in many cases, and having them to get along and function. Oh man, that's a tough, that's a humbling experience. <laughs> and so I like study abroad because of the, the way it teaches you certain aspects. Okay, other things you need, leadership. Okay, a doctor doesn't do everything. A doctor leads a team. Okay, so if you don't know who to trust, how to trust, and when to trust, you're not gonna be a good leader. So. Leadership is an important aspect, and you can get that in a number of ways. It doesn't have, you don't have to be the president. Oftentimes, the person that does most of the organizational work is actually the secretary. Okay? Maybe you're the treasurer. Maybe you're the sergeant of arms. Maybe you're involved in some committee. Okay? As long as you have that, that leadership role and take it serious and develop those skills, that's what we're looking for. Uh, other things you can get that some people do, not everybody, research. Okay, research, biological-based research, especially if you're looking at medical and dental school, uh, it's, a, it's a good way to distinguish yourself, to separate yourself. Okay, one of the things I always talk about when I'm talking about students actually applying is how do you separate yourself from the average applicant? And there's one word for that, passion. What are you passionate about? Okay, go chase that passion. Okay, if it's Habitat for Humanity, great. If it's working in a colonia, you go start a nonprofit. That takes a lot of effort and it shows a lot of passion. If you're passionate about research, if you're passionate about leadership, okay, I've had the president, uh, the student body president and vice president, and we used to have a Supreme Court. I've had the chief justice of the Supreme Court. All those were uh, here at UT uh, RGV or the Legacy Institute. Uh, you know, I've, I can't count the number of senators we've had for the College of Sciences that have been pre meds. So, you know, you can find leadership lots of different ways. It doesn't all have to be in this kind of, shall we say, box that I have to be the president. There's only one president each year. So 
you know, look around and enjoy your life a little bit because passion also is about your passion for life. Okay, if you like, I don't know, gaming and you want to go uh, join the gaming society here and play, uh, you know, Fortnite or whatever, go for it. Okay, <laughs> there's lots of opportunities out there for you to get involved with other people, which will grow you in certain ways. Feed your passion. Okay, and as long as you can get across that passion to anybody that's interviewing you, you can tell real quickly whether somebody's into something by just talking to them about whatever excites them, whatever totally geeks them out. Okay, as you can see, I'm all geeked out about advice. <laughs> I love this stuff, but I love seeing students go on to be successful, and that's really the key: is find out what you're passionate about, chase that passion, and still look at you know keep your eye on everything, but chase whatever really excites you. Long answer, sorry. Everything we needed to know. Thank you so much, Doctor Gunn, and thank you for joining us um, today's or this podcast. Um, we really appreciate you sharing this information with first-year students, and thank you so much. That pretty much summed up everything that we needed to know. Thank you. So overall, again, it's communication, maturity, uh, leadership, uh, as well as research and experience. And good grades. <laughs> good grades. Well. Good. You cannot leave out the good grades. Um, okay, just one more quick aside here. Somebody asked me, if I only got one word to say, what will help you the most in getting ready for professional school? Um, and, then, and then, of course, I always ask for three. And say, okay, give me three words. Read, read, and read. <laughs> okay? Don't watch TV. Don't sit on your phone and assume you're reading. You're not. Get into the literature about the things you think you want to do. Invest in your, your education in that way. Learn to read, learn to think critically while you read. Makes all the difference in the world. Thank See, you. That, that helps. <laughs> <laughs> I think this advice could apply just about anywhere. Any other career. Yes. Well, and each, you know, like you start talking to people in engineering, they do internships and go off and do stuff like that, computer science, the same thing. There's lots of different professions that, uh, that can benefit from this type of vision, uh, from gaining these experiences. And you know anybody who's going on into a uh, a graduate or professional education, these are all part of it. Oh, I forgot to throw out a magic word: professionalism. <laughs> Learn to act like a professional. Um, that's that word should have been in there. And I'm sorry, didn't get it. As long <laughs> as it got in there, somehow. Well, thank we'll you so much, Dr. Gunn. And well, this just about wraps up our podcast. And thank you so much for listening. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Mm -hmm.